Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, man, it is always a, a pleasure to worship with you, with our church family, and today uh, to get to share in Ridge's absence. As uh, Braden mentioned, I think he and Tracy are capitalizing on a long weekend thanks to the Bell County Fair, and so um, I hope they have a refreshing time away and you might recognize as well a few missing families. Um, I know we have a lot of students who participate with uh, either animals or projects to show this weekend, and uh, we hope they have a great turnout and do well. So uh, we are excited to be together today, though. This morning, I wanted to start with a question with a prompt of sorts, and my question for you is, have you ever wrestled with doubt? Yes. yes okay. <laughs> At least one of us. Okay. Um, have you ever wrestled with doubt? In 2011, I started my freshman year of college at Tarleton State, and over a decade ago, wow. Uh, no, I started my freshman year at Tarleton State, and I was a little hesitant to go off to college anyway, but there I was freshman year. My mom and my dad and my sister Rebecca, they came with me to help me um, to move in, you know, to send me off, and we arrived, and I don't know if y'all have been a part of a, a freshman move-in lately, but they're super excited to see uh, um, you know, it's kind of like summer camp for college students, but the thing is, as soon as you get in there, you're just another freshman. <laughs> so my mom and dad, uh, we go, we unload stuff. It takes about two and a half minutes to set up my dorm room, because I'm an 18-year-old boy, and I have a bedspread and a backpack and an Xbox. So it didn't take long, and uh, I am the youngest of six, so my mom and dad were pretty well-versed at the, uh, the quick goodbye they weren't trying to let it linger. And so I would have been fine if they stayed, took me to lunch, whatever. But I remember very quickly, they went back home. And uh, I, was, I was alone. But I had some hope. Okay, I still I had a roommate. I hadn't met him yet. Um, who else was waiting on that freshman roommate? You're like, please be. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know who he was. He shows up, nice enough guy. His name's Ryan. And um, his parents help him unload, and they leave. And so I was like, this is it. This is the person. At least I won't have to go anywhere by myself. And so I talked to Ryan for a minute, and he goes, well, dude, uh, it's nice to meet you. I've got some friends off campus I'm going to go hang out with, but I'll see you later. <laughs> uh, it turns out Ryan was a sophomore, which is a big difference than a freshman, right? And so, um, I mean, also off campus, you know how cool you have to be to have friends off campus? I didn't have friends on campus yet. I was just sitting in my dorm room by myself, and I was wondering, why did I even go off to college? Chick had a good job, Chick-fil-A. an hour? Come on now. Um, I had doubt. I doubted that decision. And uh, it turned out all right, don't worry. I think by Sunday afternoon, I was was rolling right along. Um, But we all wrestle with doubt. And I know in a lot of ways, that's kind of a, uh, a silly illustration of it. But when it comes to the faith, when it comes to religious things, we have doubts too. Some of us may doubt if God is real, if he even exists. Others may believe he exists, but they doubt if he is good. They have a hard time um, believing that. Sometimes maybe we know that he does exist and that he is good, but we still doubt his timing, we doubt his process, we doubt his plan. From our text today, we'll be in Matthew chapter 11. I see three major reasons that we struggle with doubt day to day. They're not the only ones, but there are three reasons here. And I wanted to share those with you just before we jumped into the text. The first one is misconceptions. 
We misunderstand what or how something should be. I misunderstood how my first day of college would be. And maybe for some of us, that creates resentment. We thought God had something different for us. We thought God had something better for us. We misunderstood, and we don't like where we're at. That's the second one. First one's misconceptions. The second one is unfavorable circumstances. Have you ever wound up in a spot that you just did not like? Things are not going well. Sometimes that results in discouragement for us. I thought I did the right thing. I thought I was living sacrificially. I thought I did what the pastor told me to. Um, But my marriage is still falling apart. I'm still not able to make these payments. This or that, our circumstances can discourage us, right? Third one, perhaps there's a lack of justice stemming from a serious wound or an experience of abuse. And if you've been in those shoes, you know, um, it can be a feeling of hopelessness. No one noticed. No one protected me. No one cared. All these things can fuel doubt in our lives. And I'm thankful because our text today addresses just that. We're going to read together here in a moment a story, um, a portion of scripture where a prominent follower and preacher of Christ wrestles with doubt. A prominent preacher, a prominent follower of Christ wrestles with doubt. Would y'all read Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 with me? When Jesus had finished giving instructions to the 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. First, first glance at this passage, it appears to me that John may have been experiencing all three of these triggers related to doubt. First one, like we've read in the weeks past, a lot of Jesus' followers, even his closest disciples, um, they had a misconception about how Jesus was going to bring his kingdom forth. They were frustrated with his timing. They were frustrated with his movement because even though he had proven his ability to inspire the masses, even though he could work up a crowd, he wasn't moving with it yet. The Romans were still in authority over them. They were still walking on eggshells. They were still paying their taxes. They misconceived the way the kingdom of God would be. They misconceived the way it would come to be in our lives. And so I got to think to John, from his um, time in prison, seeing Jesus teaching, it's got to appear to John that this Jesus wasn't doing a whole lot of saving yet. If he was, why would John still be in jail? Point being, um, if Jesus really was the Savior, why would he let one of his greatest preachers and supporters be stuck in prison? So John misconstrued how the Lord was going to work. And then he was discouraged by his circumstance, by his context. Looking around his prison cell, didn't feel too great. Didn't feel like they were um, blazing the path that they wanted to. 
He's stuck in jail. Jesus is out there teaching. Not only is he missing out, but he's unable um, to move. He's unable to use his gifts the way that he wants to. I'm also compelled to believe that from the text, John just, he wasn't just a weak, whiny person. I don't think he was a complainer. If we know the story, we know that John is experiencing unjust treatment from the Roman authorities. He's in prison simply because he had the audacity to speak out against Herod and Tippus in a marriage that was not honoring to God. So he's wrongfully imprisoned, and he knows that, um, I don't know if he knows his destiny, but it's probably not looking good. It's got to be discouraging. As far as John could tell, the justice that was prophesied to come in the wake of the promised one was still absent. The Hebrew people had a lot of expectation for this Savior. I think that's why when they saw Jesus' ministry and they saw his work, there's aspects of it that were pretty compelling. And then there are portions of it that either they misunderstood or that they were hoping for and it wasn't going to happen yet. And John, uh, being a Nazarite, being the son of a priest, he knows his Old Testament and he knows that um, the promised Messiah was going to bring justice. He was going to judge the wicked. And right now the wicked aren't being judged. He doesn't get it. We will move towards Jesus' reassurances of John's doubt. That'll be the, uh, the meat of this message, if you will. But I think there's something for us to learn from John here, even amidst his doubts. Knowing that we all experience doubt, I've got to admire the way John does it. There's three things here I want you to see in how John doubts. John's doubt moved him closer to Christ, not further from him. John's doubt moved him closer to Christ, not further. Sometimes uh, when we are in an argument or there's a dispute with people we love, that doesn't always make you want to get closer to that person, right? Sometimes you want some space. Sometimes that resentment pushes us apart. But in John's case here, he doubted, and he said, you know what? I'm going to ask Jesus about that. I love how John engages Jesus in this really honest and personal way. He doubted, and he told him about it. He said, hey, are you the guy that we're supposed to be waiting for, or is there somebody else? That's pretty bold, I feel like. It reminds me um, of Mark chapter 9, the same, the same energy from that passage. And in that passage, if you'll remember, um, Jesus is approached by, um, he's working amongst the crowds, and a father comes of a, a demon-possessed boy. And Jesus is called upon to heal this boy. The crowd is skeptical. They're like, there's no way, that's not what Jesus is doing. Um, but Jesus tells his father that all things are possible for the one who believes. And the father has that really um, iconic response. He says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I really want to believe I do, and where I don't, could you fix it? When doubt arises, do we ask Jesus to help our unbelief? That's the first thing that John does that I want to do. When doubt arises, I want to, I want to tell Jesus, I want to say, hey, um, I do believe, and I want to believe, can you fix it where I don't? The second thing is that John confessed his doubt. It was some of his disciples that carried this message to Christ. They brought the question for John since he was in prison. So obviously his disciples knew how John was feeling. Obviously Jesus knows how he was feeling. 
So when doubt arises in your life, don't suffer in silence, but confess it to the Lord and confess it to your friends who can encourage you and who will sit with you and who will reflect the grace that God gives us in those times. We don't need to suffer. Um, We don't need to doubt alone and just let our faith shrivel up. But when that happens, expose it, confess it. The third thing John does is he keeps his eyes upon Christ. Even when his view, when his perspective of Christ was in question, who did he ask about it? He asked Jesus. Even in his doubt, I feel like John was a man of tremendous faith. It appears to me that John would have believed in Jesus until Jesus told him not to. Right? Hey, I'm doubting you, but I'm not asking other people um, to fill in the picture. I'm not looking to other things to save me. I do believe, help my unbelief. Can you, um, can you help me out here? When doubt weighs you down, keep your eyes on the only one who can truly dispel it. When doubt weighs you down, keep your eyes on the only one who can truly um, fix it, who can truly take it away. As we look at the reassurance of Christ, we see how Jesus responds when he hears these words. Um, Just from reading it, I sense a little impatience from John. I sense some frustration. I would probably be the same way, if not worse, right? Those are pretty human emotions. And I love the way Jesus responds to his beloved John. He responds graciously. Keep in mind, y'all, this is John the Baptist. You know the voice crying out in the wilderness? You know the one who paved the way for Christ? The one who baptized him? The one who, when they were both still in their mother's wombs, leapt with excitement at the presence of the Savior? John knew who Jesus was. And he experienced doubt. If John's going to have doubts, then I'm going to have doubts. It's probably a good place for us to distinguish between two types of doubt. I know doubt is kind of a loaded word here. And so I think for the sake of our time in the word today, I want to share with you. uh, Doubt, some of it can be a form of cynicism. So sometimes we can doubt with the hope that whatever is being doubted, um, whatever we are testing will not prove to be trustworthy. All right, that's a cynical form of doubt. I really hope this doesn't pan out that way. I don't think that's what John had. There's another type of doubt, doubt that stems from confusion, from hurt, from circumstances. I think this is the doubt that says, help my unbelief. You see, there's a difference in those two responses. Both are struggling Both are hurt, but one of them says, Lord, I trust you and want you to come through here. And the other one says, I don't know. I might go try something else. So when John brings this question, when he brings his doubts, um, Jesus does not condemn him in front of this crowd. Jesus does not, um, he's not frustrated with John's lack of faith. He doesn't say, hey, don't be like this guy. So why do we condemn people when they doubt When people struggle, when people ask hard questions, sometimes the easiest thing for us is to uh, put a band-aid on it of just got to have some faith. And it's true, we do. But from spending time in this text, what I'm realizing is that uh, there's no extra credit for faking it. 
There's no extra credit in the church or in the kingdom of God for faking it because Jesus knows our heart before we even do. And so when you show up and you spend time with fellow believers um, and you can't uh, be honest enough to communicate to them that, hey, I'm struggling with this, you're not awarded extra points for that. It doesn't help the body of Christ. What is powerful is when we confess it when we say we're having it so people can pray for us, when we say we're having this doubt, I mean, I even thought of uh, Doubting Thomas, right? What a name this week. Whenever he doubts Jesus, what did Jesus do? He brought him closer to him. So in that way, doubt can be a really powerful thing. Not when it freezes and hardens our heart, but when we use it as something to propel off of closer to Christ. So for us, when we demonize the hard questions of the faith of the young Christians in our midst, I don't think we're really successfully taking them um, away from them. I don't think we're convincing them not to doubt. We're convincing them that this isn't a good place to ask questions. Those questions still exist, though. And so for us, if we're going to be the big brothers and big sisters of the faith, do we want people to trust us with their questions or not? Personally, I'd rather have a chance to walk with somebody through their seasons of doubt instead of just having this expectation that they fake it. Because I know for our students, if we convince them not to ask those questions now, they're going to leave home, they're going to go to college, they're going to join the military, they're going to work, or wherever they end up, those questions are still going to be there. Instead of condemning John, Jesus redirects John's doubts. He redirects them. He shows them where his perspective, where his wisdom and his faith might be lacking. It's one of those moments where uh, we realize we don't see everything the Lord sees, right? Knowing what we know, this seems like a a challenge, um, but Jesus is coming at it from a totally different perspective. And so when I think of redirection, I think of Hannah and I's puppy, Duke. Some of y'all have seen thousands of photos that we post online. Uh, He's one years old. Uh, He's still very much a puppy. And so there's this part of training a dog, if you've ever done it, where you would love to just have a good sit-down conversation with them. But hey, like the other day when you chewed on my T-shirt, that wasn't cool. It hurt me. That doesn't work, right? So there's a part of training a dog where you have treats ready, you have toys ready. So whenever they do something they're not supposed to, you redirect. So when he chews on um, a window seal, we say, hey, that's not for Duke, this is for Duke. When he goes where it's not good for him, when he tries to drink water out of the toilet, we say, hey, that's not Duke's water, this is Duke's water. It's this loving redirection. When he gets into what's not good for him, we provide something better. And if you think if I'm comparing us to puppies today, I am, (laughs) okay? (laughs) When we get into something we're not supposed to, because of his grace and his mercy, Jesus isn't just mad at us. He says, hey, I have something better for you. There's something over here dedicated specifically for you because you are a child of mine in the faith. He redirects John... And for us to get a picture of that, I want us to read verses four through six again, and we'll highlight a few things in there. Jesus replies to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. At first glance, it appears that Jesus is simply telling John of his many miracles and his divine acts. And in a sense, he is. But here's where we kind of face a disadvantage of reading the Bible through Western eyes thousands of years after, okay? Jesus is speaking to his Hebrew brother and kind of his Hebrew code. It's not really a code. We just don't know our Old Testament super well. But he's quoting a prophecy to him. He's not just saying, hey, I've healed people. Don't you see? But he's quoting a specific Old Testament text to his friend in prison, And he's giving him a shot of hope. These passages um, that Jesus quotes are from Isaiah. Isaiah 61. They're prophecies of himself. They're prophecies of saying what the Messiah is going to do. And I believe that John knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. When his disciples brought this response back to him, I believe that John the Baptist knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And tell me if you think this applies to John's circumstance. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all of those who mourn. In this response to the three types of doubt that I think John communicates to Jesus, Jesus responds with three truths to encourage his friend. I think these truths are for us today too. That he came not just to heal but freedom for the, for the prisoners, right? Freedom for the captives. Um, God's vengeance, God's justice is very real. And you may not see it acting yet. John had been wrong. He was being mistreated. And Jesus is telling him, hey, um, you've got to trust me with this one. Because it is going to happen. It's just going to happen differently than you're expecting. So the first thing, the first way that Jesus encourages John with this prophecy, with this text, is that Jesus is the Messiah and he is fulfilling these prophecies. Don't forget what you've seen. Don't forget what you've experienced. Also remember that his kingdom looks very different than our man-made copies. So whenever he does something um, that does not make sense to us, it's probably actually more beneficial for us than if we got to control it ourselves. Jesus needed John to see that even though it looked different than he anticipated, it was still coming to be. Is anybody waiting on the Lord right now for something? You know, you know that God has um, a future, he has a solution, he has direction there, and more often than not, it does not look how I would draw it up. God's presence God's will in your life can still be coming to fruition, even if it's not what you anticipated. 
Even if you feel like you messed it up, even if you feel like you missed your shot, God's presence and his will in your life can still be coming to fruition. Even if it's different than you anticipated. Often that's the case. I want to say if you're curious about that, find a believer in the room that has some age on them and ask them about a time that God showed up in their life and ask them if it's how they thought it was going to happen. It's probably not. So for us, that is a, a burst of, of hope to hold on to because we know that even if we can't see the answer, he does. Even if we can't see the solution, he does. That's the second thing he reminds John of with that passage from Isaiah 61 is that justice will be delivered. We live in a world filled with injustices. And Jesus is reminding John and he's reminding the reader here Justice will be delivered. You've got to recognize that your current circumstance is not ultimate. Amen? Your current circumstance is not ultimate. It's not all-encompassing. I think we make the mistake of we look at our circumstance, like we let our circumstance shape our view of eternity. So we let how we feel right now We let the challenge, we let the hardship affect how we think the rest of our life or the rest of eternity is going to be. I think the challenge here is when you live by faith, you let your view of eternity dictate how you see your present moment. You let your view of who God is and who he's always been and what he's promising shape how you see this present moment. To put it more simply, Jesus ain't done yet. He's still working. As it is now, it will not always be. Jesus points John to this passage to um, the vengeance, that judgment that God is going to see that through. The wicked will not prosper in the end. God will rescue his people. I also feel like on a personal level, because of he and John the Baptist's relationship, he's saying, friend, I have not forgotten you. He claimed that the Messiah came to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. One of which in that moment is John. Like I said, John likely would have been well-versed in the Old Testament as a Nazarite. If you'll remember, his father's a priest. I think John knew his Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is speaking to him. He's reminding him of this truth And we get to benefit from that promise of truth today, too. The truth of this story is that John did not make it out of that prison alive. No. We know how the story ends. We know that his flesh was destroyed. We know they made a mockery of his life and his career and his God. But we also know that John's story didn't end that day. What we do know is that for 2,000 years plus and for eternity to come, John gets to experience, he gets to live the promise that Jesus quoted to him that day, every day. Liberty for the captives and freedom for the prisoners. Whatever John was doubting that day, I don't think he's doubting it anymore. You know, as the band comes back up this morning, I want to take a moment just for for us in the room. 
for those of us following Christ. Maybe you don't know the Lord. This is for you too. Maybe you find yourself in a similar position to John. Maybe you find yourself filled with doubt. Maybe you're confused because you thought certain things were supposed to happen. Maybe you're even a little let down because it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. I know in our lives it's easy to look and see where things didn't pan out, where circumstances weren't what we thought was promised. Maybe right now you're not getting what you feel you deserve. Maybe you've even experienced abuse, neglect, or pain, and no one was there. You needed his protection, and it felt like it wasn't there. My encouragement to each of y'all this morning is to doubt like John. When that doubt comes, let it propel you into the arms of Christ. John didn't because he was in prison, but if he could have, I think he would have looked Jesus in the eye and asked him the same question. What I see in this passage is that Jesus' love isn't weak. His patience, his patience isn't low. No, he can handle our doubts. And just like he did for John the Baptist, he will meet our doubts with his power and with his promises. If you are experiencing doubt, don't suffer in silence. But call out the doubt in your life, confess it to others, so they can pray with you and they can pray for you. When doubt comes in our life, we absolutely have a choice in how we respond. John kept his eyes on the Lord. He confessed his doubt and he remembered who the authority was. So for us this morning, may we all let Jesus' truth, his life and his word shape our resolve and strengthen our faith. You and I both know we're going to need it. We need that sustaining strength that he offers. I don't know where you're at with the Lord or what you sense the Holy Spirit communicating, but my, my invitation, my charge for you today is simply this. Move. Don't let your doubt hold you down. Don't let it harden your heart. Instead, push off of your doubt in the direction of Christ. I think of Thomas. When he doubted, Jesus brought him closer. And I have no doubt that if you confess your doubt to Christ today, the same invitation is there. You need a better look? Come on. <laughs> this morning, if you've felt distant, if you've been stuck in sin, if you've been stuck in doubt, we would love to pray with you. The front is open. Maybe you're in a spot where it's hard to trust. Maybe something happened. 
I would love to pray with you this morning. If you are walking with the Lord and you're experiencing doubt, confess it to a brother or sister in the faith. Come up for the front. The front is open. Pray with somebody. If you don't know the Lord and you are still uncertain of these things, your questions are not scary. Your questions are not bad. Come, we would love to talk to you. Maybe you know someone who's struggling with doubt. They may not even be here today. I just want you to know the front is open. I'll be here if you want to pray with me, if you want to pray with anybody else. But don't sit still in your doubt. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you as we worship and as we sing together. We proclaim your goodness, that you are trustworthy. And Lord, we know these things, many of us. But I pray for any of my friends in this room who have not uh, professed that belief themselves, that, Lord, you would, um, you would draw them close to you. Lord, for those of us in the room that know these things but are having a hard time believing them right now, God, would you strengthen our faith, our resolve? Would you um, give us a glimmer of hope? Can we look to John and see that um, even though it wasn't how John anticipated, you took care of him? The things you promised came to pass. And the ones that haven't yet, Lord, we can trust you with. If anyone has a decision today, God, if anyone needs to to move on this, I pray that you would give them boldness to do so. That as a church, you give us a heart that is um, patient with, willing to walk through hard things with people. And God, that you'd be glorified by all of it. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.